What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 51 of the Triage Method podcast. I'm here today with Mr. The One and Only Charles Darwin. And um, we're going to be talking a little bit about... What are we talking about, Charles? Charles, yeah, as if he was a good boy. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about evolutionary biology. And that may seem pretty pretty esoteric to be talking about when we're discussing this kind of health and fitness realm or whatever the fuck, again, you want to call what we do. Um, but the reason we're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth is because a lot of people make claims in this health and fitness sphere, right? And they don't, like under scrutiny, they don't make a whole lot of sense, right? And I'm basically going to give you the entire cliff notes for this episode right now and essentially the reason we're going to discuss evolutionary biology is because things don't just appear right so if someone gives you this mad or this take this supplement and it will shred body fat overnight what you have to look at that is like why would that in an evolutionary sense come about like why would your body have this mechanism to shred fat with this one supplement, you know, like why, why would that evolve? Like, and essentially that, that, that's what we want to discuss. And I know I'm kind of doing a terrible job at explaining that, but I kind of need to give you some examples of the thought process before you can really start understanding what we're trying to discuss. Right. So we're going to give you to start a kind of a, like a very brief recap of evolution um, and it's actually quite funny because we were discussing this uh, with one of my friends the other day. And you know how everyone always goes, oh, it, oh, in America, you know, there's places in America that don't teach evolution. They teach, you know, creationism, like, you know, what they teach in the Bible, essentially. And he was saying that, like, that's what he learned in school. He learned creationism. Like, he literally just lives up the road from me. And like in a Christian school, like in Ireland, learned creationism. Didn't, didn't hear about evolution until he was like 16 or 17. You know, so people people kind of slag or make fun of America and places that are like, oh, well, they teach creationism, so stupid. But it's like that that still happens here in Ireland. So we're gonna give you a quick recap of evolution. Essentially, evolution is replicative chemistry, right? So if you ever hear someone arguing against evolution, they're gonna have to argue against it from the perspective of replicative chemistry, right? Um. Yeah, so with, with evolution, Gary, what, what would you say, like, how to the layperson, how would you, because you, you just said before this podcast, you don't know anything about evolution. Like, what would be your impression of evolution? You know, give us, give us your semi-informed opinion, your thoughts. Yeah, I think the basic, the basic meme that's probably, you know, in some people's heads when they think of evolution, it's like, oh, humans develop these sorts of traits that allowed them to survive and the traits that you know allowed them to to be fitter for survival were the things that that kind of carried on into the future and then like that's that's what i would consider to be the normal typical like single sentence understanding yeah that's fair enough and you said a few the key kind of buzzwords they're related to it you know like fitness that's what essentially charles darwin proposed survival of the fittest right so fit, fittest isn't necessarily what you would 
like we're talking about health and fitness, you know, we're talking about like cardiovascular fitness. What they're actually talking about is reproductive fitness, you know, like the ability to pass your genes on to the next generation, right? So that's essentially what evolution is in a very, very tight little nutshell there. It is the, the process of adapting to the environment and passing on your, or rather those adaptations being beneficial in the environment and thus giving you some sort of better chance of reproductive success, right? And the thing that people kind of get tripped up with this is they only see the end outcome, right? They don't see how things progress over time, right? Because this this stuff can, it can happen pretty quick. Like evolution can happen pretty quick, but evolution can also happen pretty slowly, right? So that you wouldn't even necessarily notice the changes occurring over time. And, and Darwin saw this in, you know, the Galapagos Islands where he was kind of hopping from island to island and he was seeing these, they'll call them ecological niches, you know, like there was a certain plant here and you'd see certain finches would have developed different beak structures to, you know, essentially get the nutrition from that plant, right? That could be a a pointier, like more needle-like beak, or it could have been a thicker, stronger, shorter beak. And, you know, the, the reason they would have developed that is because, you know, that maybe the shorter, stronger beak was better at cracking open nuts or something and getting the nutrition from that. Whereas the, the sharper, pointier beak was better at, I don't know, kind of more woodpecking, getting kind of lice or, you know, grubs or something out of bark or something like that, right? So that's essentially how he kind of, he started going to the Galapagos Islands. He started going, mm, you know, these people or these finches and these different turtles, tortoises, whatever the fuck. He was like, yeah, these these are developing. Like, what, why are they developing so differently, even though they're only, you know, a couple of hundred meters apart on a different island, right? And he came up with a theory of evolution. So he was like, okay, so they evolve over time to take advantage of that. And it makes sense when you kind of think of it, especially nowadays, because like everyone accepts evolution as the, 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 the correct theory again i hate the word theory because people then go like oh yeah yeah exactly i hate the word theory because people then go oh it's only a theory it's not proven but that's that's the scientific language you have to use right and so to put this into perspective of what we're we're trying to discuss if we say evolution is adaptation to the environment or having adaptations to the environment that allows you to be more reproductively successful i.e pass your pass those adaptations on to the next generation, right? Now, the first thought that kind of comes to mind is, okay, so if I get these adaptations during my lifetime, I can pass them on to the next generation, right? And this would be the the theory that, you know, a horse evolved into a giraffe, right? Because over time, over a lifetime, that horse was like, oh, there's more succulent leaves higher up on the tree so they would stretch their neck just a little bit and a little bit and over generations the fact that that uh, horse or those horses were stretching their necks more led to an elongated neck right so that's what kind of people started to believe then they were like okay so that makes sense you get these these uh, adaptations to your environment and then you pass them on to the next generation however that's that's not entirely true like i Traditionally speaking, people would say that's completely false, right? And you can look at evolution and say that it is completely false, right? Because that, that's just not the way that that happened, right? There's there is no... Essentially, what you have to do for evolution to be successful or to discuss evolution or whatever you want to say, uh, 
the adaptations you get are genetic. They're essentially anomalies, right? You get, you're just born with a, a mutation in your genome and that, that mutation leads to better success in the environment, right? So just keep that in your head. It's a, it is genetic, you know, your genes, your DNA have got some random mutations. Your genes and your DNA, or your DNA is made up of A's, T's, C's, and G's. You know, you don't really know. They're just like the, uh, the, the base pairing that goes on with the DNA. If you've probably seen a DNA, the helical structure, you know, either side of that, it's A's, T's, G's, and C's. Uh, and essentially, you get this huge code of all A's, G's, and C's. And then from that, you can then make proteins. And then those proteins dictate the function that is carried out in the body, right? So essentially what happens is you get a mutation. Now that mutation could have been just genetic, a genetic anomaly in terms of when the the, the zygote forms, you know, your, your sperm and the egg meat and stuff, you know, whatever the way the, the DNA is sparsed out between everything, you know, you get some random mutation, you know, so your parents both had uh, G's and C's together, right? And then you just somehow switch those around. Now in that position, you have an A and a T, you know, just just completely switched it around, right? Or you have a, a G and a G or something like that, you know? So you have some, some, some different mutation that differs from your parents, or you may have inherited, you know, a combination of DNA sequences from your parents, whereby, you know, your, your, your mother has this stretch of DNA and your father has a very similar stretch of DNA, except at the end, it, or rather at the start, it's different to your mother's and at the end, it's different to your mother's. But then when they combine, the the start of your father's is the, the mother's now, and then the end of the father's is now the same as the mother's. So you can get this kind of changing around where the, the overall sequence is changed and that can change the overall function because it's not just necessarily like one base pairing that dictates the proteins that are made. It is the whole sequence, you know? So basically you can have some errors, we're kind of call them errors, they're mutations that occur and they are passed on to the next generation. And this could be due to stuff that happens in the environment, right? And I know I just said that this is not how this happens, right? And I just said like a, a horse does not stretch its neck and become a giraffe, right? So just keep that in mind for a second. And essentially what you get is mutations in the DNA code, but these would be germline mutations, right? And your germline is like your sperm, your eggs, that kind of stuff, right? <clears throat> so a mutation you get up, get or get in your your daily life. So it, for example, a common mutation that people would see would be, or rather know about, would be getting like a time and dimer. So those two T's that I said a second ago, like the, a T uh, in that genetic code, two of those T's joined together, right? And you would get that from exposure to ultraviolet radiation. So that would eventually, or if it wasn't repaired, that would turn into cancer, right? So you would get a mutation, but that mutation leads to cancer, right? So you could then get a mutation in your germline that just changes one of the letters around, changes a bit of the sequence around, and that can then be passed on to the next generation. Or it could make you essentially infertile because, you know, it would be less likely in males because sperm is constantly being produced and then gotten rid of. Uh, whereas in females, you're kind of left with the eggs that you're born with, if that makes sense, right? Um, so you don't get, the, you don't necessarily get adaptations to the, the environment. You don't necessarily pass them on, but 
you do to some extent, right? And that's why I said it's not necessarily 100%, like you could argue either way, depending on who you want to argue with, right? So you can get mutations to your germline, so your sperm, your eggs, and that will pass on to the next generation. That could make them completely mutated. And I use that term in the, the scientific term, not just like the, the colloquial, colloquial term, um, but they are literally mutated. And that could mean that they spontaneously abort. You know, they, they, they're not viable in the environment. It could be a mutation that means that their heart doesn't form or something like that. You know, their brain doesn't form something like that and they could just spontaneously abort or they could go to term but they just wouldn't live in the environment they just w wouldn't be able to survive right um but yeah anyway back to the the environmental stuff however that's not also the whole story right so you do actually get some epigenetic stuff and that is the environmental stuff changing your your your, your genome right and this would be all like methylation histonification different things that are attached to your dna and that will then change your dna structure and that to some extent can be passed on to the the next generation and this is especially true of histonification well methylation mainly is the one but histonification is another one acetylation all those different ones all the different attachments to dna structure right and this can especially be true during pregnancy right and this is where you see it most like epigenetics is most applicable right you see how the mother's nutrition or the mother's environment stress levels sleep all that kind of stuff how that affects the the developing fetus right how that affects the developing baby like you know so that that's depending on your environment, that will change the expression of the genome of that developing baby, right? So if you starve yourself during pregnancy, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, like you see this in like the, the Dutch famine study or, you know, like places after World War II and stuff, the, the genome, the expression of the genome of the, the babies that were born during that time that were under, you know, this starvation stressor, express themselves differently you know they're they're more likely to store body fat they're more likely to be stressed individuals you know so there's all these different adaptations that go on because the environment has dictated how that genome itself is expressed right so i know i kind of went off on a few tangents there but basically basic premise premise is you have genetic structure it has a load of letters a's t's g's c's right they're in a sequence that dictates the function of the organism by virtue of making proteins and you can modify this by mutating it you know maybe it's a single base pair change you know some, some sort of mutation occurs you can also or if that occurred just in you as an individual that would probably lead to cancer if you didn't have proper repair mechanisms in place um, and then also you can have mutations to your germline so your sperm and your eggs and that can lead to the ch a change in the, the the reproductive success of the next individual right or the next individual in that lineage you know um, and then also the environment itself dictates how that genome is also expressed and this is very easily seen in in utero and then after like when the baby is born right so you with me so far gary yes sir that sounds good to me right now the other thing as well is 
Go on. So, 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 what does what does this mean? So, should I do bench press or chest press? Shut the fuck up, like... Gary. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the next thing we go on to then is you have an X and a Y chromosome, right? Well, you don't all have it. Some of you have XX and some of you have XY, right? And that would, that XX would mean you are a biological female, right? And an XY would mean you are a biological male, right? Now, this obviously can be triggering for some people and I probably should have given a trigger warning but that that is the way biology dictates your 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 sex you know your biological sex uh, however this can also be modified and this is especially seen in utero right again talking about this epigenetic changes right and you can all test yourselves right now if you ever think especially if you're a female right and you go you know I, I find myself having more masculine traits right if you or if you are a male and you say i find myself having more feminine traits you know and like obviously a lot of this is societally driven but a lot of this is obviously inherent in your actual biology right and again this is how exactly what we're talking about in terms of the epigenetic changes like in in the uterine environment so in the mother's womb uh, as, as she's having that child as she's as a child is developing the more testosterone that that child is exposed to, the easiest way to see, well, the more testosterone that child is exposed to, but the mother's own testosterone, because females do produce testosterone, will generally end up dictating how that individual kind of expresses their sex, their biological sex, right? So if you're if you're more masculine, i.e. if you have been exposed to more testosterone in that critical developmental period, you know, in, in uterus, you will generally find that your ring finger finger is longer than your index finger, right? And if you go around, you can literally see this on the majority, the vast majority of males will have larger ring fingers than index fingers, right? Whereas the vast majority of females will have larger index fingers than ring fingers, Okay. However, you can see obviously the ratio depending on where they are, you can determine how much testosterone. Now, not quantitatively, like you can't just be like, right, you have this exact ratio. We know down to the fucking milligram per deciliter uh, or nanogram per deciliter or whatever fucking value you want to use, and we can tell you exactly how much testosterone you've been you were exposed to in utero. That's that's not what I'm talking about. But you can see how they developed in utero in in terms of that ring finger to index finger ratio right so if you are a a biological female and you're like oh i have very masculine traits the odds are that you have been exposed to more testosterone in that developmental period and you will generally speaking have a ring finger that is longer than your index finger right and same with the the male the biological male if you have been exposed to less testosterone in that developmental period you may find yourself having less masculine traits, more kind of feminine traits. And again, I'm just talking traditional masculine, traditional feminine traits here. Uh, And you will generally see that you have a longer index finger than ring finger, right? So that is epigenetics in motion there, right? So that's how your environment is shaping the expression of your genome, right? So that that's just a kind of quick recap. Now, Again, we want to bring this back into how does this actually influence what the fuck we're actually talking about here, which is the the whole health and fitness stuff, right? So whenever you see a claim, whenever you see someone say something or 
recommend something or whatever, whatever claim it is, you have to think back, how would this develop in an evolutionary sense, right? Because if there is some sort of mechanism for some sort of claim, you would want to see, like, or you'd want to think, like, how would this de- develop over time? Like, how would you evolve to have this over time? Because as we said earlier on, like, these these mutations occur over time, right? So you might have a, a slight advantage in the environment, and that advantage gives you a better reproductive success. And therefore, that advantage gets multiplied over time both in terms of the frequency it is in the environment but also the extremeness it is in the environment right and as i said earlier on you have like xx female xy male and that also gives you an indication as to why males show way more diversity in terms of their different attributes you know like women like biological women tend to all cluster around the, the the average obviously they're going to cluster around the average because it is an average but they have a, a much much tighter clustering like this is why you don't see as many women being convicted in like prison you don't see as many like violent women killers you know whereas you do see that with men because they go down into that like extreme right but this is why you also don't see as many women with like super high iqs right and that's kind of triggering enough in itself because anytime you talk about intelligence or iq is as a measure of intelligence people kind of go oh you can't say that but this this is this is why you know the the advantage of having this xy chromosome means that you can have way more variety in the attributes you you can evolve to get but it also means that yeah okay there's more as a as a total number males with super high iqs you know like 160 170 180 190 right like that that's not to say that women can't get that like you can still see the 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 iq distribution like women still can get that you just get less of that that peak at the tail end whereas women all seem to cluster around you know that kind of especially in the, in the developed world that kind of 90 to 110 iq right and that, that can be triggering enough and people can kind of go, oh, well, that's that's wrong. Like the men shouldn't have that. But you have to also remember, it's the same on the opposite side. There's way more men with super low IQs than there are that females with super low IQs. Again, not to say that women can't have super low IQs. It's just to say that men have this wider spread, whereas women have this tighter spread and they all average around or they all cluster around the average right and again triggering enough when you talk about iq but this is why you also see in in athletic events men do better overall right and and again that's triggering enough but it's because they have this huge range of adaptations because that's how evolution works evolution doesn't it's not directed it's not oh uh some god creature person entity whatever is going this is what we want in this environment that's not what's happening what's happening is we're going to test out fucking everything right and the males are going to be the testing subjects so we're going to give you mutation here mutation here mutation here and we're going to see what the fuck is viable in the environment right we're just we're just going to test it out we're just going to see what happens so women are like biological women are protected from that to an extent but that also means that you don't get these extremes of 
Yeah, you see men with extreme endurance ability. You see men with extreme, you know, strength levels. You see men on these extremes, right? And that's purely because the environment or evolution is just testing out, seeing what is viable in the environment, you know? Triggering enough concept because you can use that and say, oh, women, they're just average. They're just all, they're all, you know, the same. But that that's not what the data actually says. It just says the vast majority of them cluster around the average. That doesn't mean that the average is bad. And especially in the case of IQ, like having an IQ between 90 and 110, which is where roughly women cluster, is pretty fucking good. Like, you know, like I'd rather have that than have an IQ of like 70, (laughs) you know? Um, But anyway, regardless. So how does this kind of apply to what we're discussing, right? So if someone makes a claim, if some, this is actually, this would be easier to kind of make more apparent, right? So sleep cycles, People always go like, they, they probably notice themselves that as a teenager, they wanted to get up late and they wanted to stay up late. But then as they like develop over time, that kind of shifts its pattern, right? Would you agree with that, Gary? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that was really great input there. Yeah. Anyway, um, so as a teenager, you want to essentially be a late riser and a late, late going to bed, right? And then you look at like older people, they essentially want, well, like we'll say middle age people. And I say middle age in terms of that kind of 25 to 40, 50, 60 even uh, age bracket, right? So you're not an adolescent and you're not like uh, that OAP type thing, right? <laughs> you're not in those either tail ends. You're just in, you know, the, the middle, right? They generally want to go to sleep at, we'll call them reasonable hours and they want to get up early enough right and this makes sense from an evolutionary perspective because if you think about it you don't want everyone in your your unit whatever it is your tribe whatever you don't want everyone going to sleep at the same time like that's not what you want right because that just leaves you completely open to attack by not just other humans not but also by like animals and stuff what you want is some people to be late sleepers so you you personally you're whatever 25 26 27 28 you want to go to bed early and you want to get up early right that's fine but then you also have you you realize that that leaves you completely at risk when you're sleeping for those eight nine ten hours right so what you want is someone else to be kind of taking watch for the first few hours of you going to sleep and then you're essentially going to take over when you wake up early and they're gone to sleep you know So what you want is people having different sleep patterns in the environment. But what you also want is the, 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 the youngest sort of not, not necessarily the youngest, but the ones that are best able to defend the tribe. You want them staying up late. And who is that? That's the more athletic ones. That's the kind of, we'll call them, you know, 15 to 25. That's who you want staying up late, defending your tribe from that attack. (laughs) Right. And that's what you see as well. Like you also still want some, we'll call them mature people. And this is why older people also notice that they kind of want to stay up a bit later, you know? So they still have to be looking after the overall tribe and making sure that, you know, these these reckless teenagers and young adults aren't going fucking wild, you know? Uh, but so you can see how a sleep cycle, a diverging sleep cycle, depending on what age you are, would develop over time. You can make a very strong evolutionary argument 
for that. And you can also make a very strong evolutionary argument about how that changes over time, right? And again, this 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 dictates how the environment or society should be run. However, it obviously isn't because we have that kind of nine to five uh, paradigm, you know? And they show that like, there's loads of studies to show that the children, well, not children, well, children, yeah, but, you know, young adults, that teen to 25-ish age bracket, don't do well working. Like they don't, in school and stuff, they don't do well. Like they don't really switch on until about 10 or 11 a.m., you know? So it's like, it would actually make more sense if you had them going to school later, allowing them sleep in in the morning, you know? But again, like that's that's a whole different argument, right? So are you with me so far, Gary? That makes that makes sense. You're gonna contribute something to this this thing. That makes sense in terms of how you should you can look at things with an evolutionary biology lens. Yes. Yes, and I, just 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 to track back a little bit, like I don't think I don't think if we were to look into it that we'd exactly endorse IQ as being a perfect measure of anything either. So. Like, like, I don't think that's... Oh, yeah, no, not at all. I'm just saying, Yeah, yeah, yeah like, no, I, I don't again, think. this is why it, trigger, it triggers people. Yeah. But, yeah, it is, it is, I, just, it is just a measure. Just, just like blood glucose is a measure. Just like all of those things are a, me- a measure. Like, you could have a fucking 70 IQ and be successful in the environment. It, yeah. You know what I mean? So that, yeah, that's like not... That. Again, this is, this is where people, people kind of get out. Like, they, this is why people get triggered. Because people use these measures, these metrics, to further their agenda you know and this is not like all these adaptations whatever they are that doesn't necessarily mean that they are beneficial in the environment like the environment could select for a lower iq you know like that that could be what the environment selects for and that would make sense in some environments right for example like a very dangerous environment something that you have to i don't know like proper risk life and limb just to survive that would generally favor a lower IQ, you know? Because if you have a high IQ, you're not going to want to put these risks in place. You're not going to do this. You're not going to put yourself in that danger because you have the IQ to say, oh no, that's too dangerous for me, right? But that means that you aren't as successful in that environment that favors riskier behavior, you know? So it, yeah. it just it, these are just adaptations. These are just attributes that are potentially beneficial in the environment, depending on what that environment dictates. Like you could have been in communist China. Like they literally just executed like all of the smart people. Like anyone who uh, had a college degree, anyone who taught in colleges, they all got executed. And I would definitely argue that having a high IQ was a bad thing at that time, you know? Yeah, and, and like even if you, like IQ, I think it's generally accepted is that IQ is is a better me- measure of how stupid you are in terms of like it's more useful on the lower end than it is on the higher end. So like if you wanted to be a feminist about it, like you could suggest that you could leverage that greater male variability hypothesis and say that, well, more men are at the higher end. The top end is pretty useless. So women are smarter than men. There you go. <laughs> you literally could. Like, again, like it's all about how these attributes are beneficial in the environment, you know? And that this is this is where people get caught up with the whole evolutionary stuff. Because first of all, you have to think of it in terms of how these things developed over, th- over time. But then you also have to get rid of your emotional attachment to certain ideals, right? Like being a physical stud, you know, you're just like, you just put, pack on muscle easily. You're very athletic. Like that would be terrible in the environment, in an environment that purely dictated... Uh, reproductive success 
on your ability to, I don't know, read books, you know, to be intelligent, to be whatever. If you have a, a skill that we would look at that and go, oh yeah, that's that's something that we look up to, you know, that doesn't mean that it's successful or good reproductively in that environment. You know, like you could have this proper Chad, like, you know, he's just fucking muscular or whatever. But if the environment is dictating that really, really smart people are the ones that are successful and he just, he's not as smart, but he has the physical attributes, like that's, that's going to be a bad thing. You know, he's not going to be as reproductively successful as the other people, you know, and this, 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 this brings me on to the next one. Right. And then we'll kind of get into some of the ways in which this can, this evolutionary biology lens can be used to help you decipher what is good and what's bad, but also help you see through a lot of bullshit that people kind of claim, right? So if you have an evolutionary argument, you have an evolutionary biology argument, you're like, this, this trait developed because it was reproductively successful in the environment. You could look at something, whatever it is, and say, I can see how that would be successful in the environment. I can see why that developed over time. Or I can see why that developed in our evolutionary past, but it's not necessarily good at this time. For example, you know, fat storage. That's fucking great if you're going to be going through periods of starvation. But if you live in like a first world country where food is, you know, everywhere, you can just literally walk down to the shop, get some food. You know, fat storage arguably is a, a bad thing. You know, it leads to, you know, metabolic diseases, you know, metabolic syndrome, all those related diseases, purely because this thing that developed evolutionarily was great back in the day. It was great for the environment then, but it's not great for the environment now, right? But the body or the the genes still want to keep it in the environment. Again, this is goes back to like what I'm saying, like you basically have attributes that just accumulate and if they are reproductively successful they will stick around so if you have the ability to gain fat like yeah you might go oh this is terrible it means i have to diet it means whatever but you're gonna your genes are gonna be the ones that survive if we just overnight went into an ice age and you know fat storage the ability to stave off death from starvation it's gonna be a good thing for you you know, so th- this is what I'm saying. Like, we, we have to get away from the thought process that some adaptations are good, some, some adaptations are bad, because that's that's a, a thought process that isn't beneficial for the larger scale discussion, right? Like, you can talk about it in this current environment or that current environment or in that previous environment or whatever, but you can't just have a blanket statement of this adaptation is good, this adaptation is bad, you know? Like that's, that, that's not a great argument. For example, a really good one is like sickle cell anemia, right? Everyone would go, oh, sickle cell anemia, bad, right? And that would be true. If you're, if you're homozygous, meaning you have the two genes for this sickle cell anemia, like you have the two, two genes, like you're going to get sickle cells. Your, your, your red blood cells are going to develop in a, a sickle-like manner and you're going to have a fucking bad time. You're basically going to be anemic, low energy, feel like shit, feel like crap, right? But if you only have one of those mutations, so you're heterozygous for that mutation, that sickle cell anemia is going to be protective of malaria, right? So you can see why like a lot of, uh, in a few African countries, like this, this trait still sticks around because yes, it is, very detrimental if you have the two 
two alleles for that, that sickle cell gene, right? That, that's going to be bad for you. But if you only have one, man, you're actually way more reproductively successful in that environment, right? So you can see how these things, even though they're quote unquote bad in a certain environment, they are also quote unquote good in another environment, right? And this again goes back to the, the whole argument that, you know, when people are like, oh, well, I'm just not good at anything, right? Like it's complete bullshit. Like you are good at something, right? You just haven't found a way or you're not in the right environment for that trait or those traits to be beneficial to you, right? That means you either have to move somewhere else or you have to put yourself into that environment that makes those traits reproductively successful, right? So th this brings me to the, the, ne the next kind of thing, right? And th this is where if you start going, okay, I'm going to look at things in an evolutionary biology lens. I'm going to look at someone makes a claim about fat loss, some sort of supplement increasing fat loss, right? I'm going to make it. I'm going to make a fucking claim right here, right? Like again, you can do this. This is what I'm talking about when you can make erroneous conclusions based on the evolutionary biology lens, right? It can be a very powerful tool when you look at something and go, like, how would that develop? Because evolution builds on things it doesn't just create things like you don't have a child and they just have wings you know it doesn't just create a structure it doesn't just do that it builds on things over time and this is again what you can use this to look at biomechanics which gary is hopefully going to have some input there um you can look at use this to look at like your overall physiology you know you can use this to look at the, the anatomical differences between humans and uh, between individuals. And you can, you can use this to look at any claim or any information that is put forth in this health and fitness realm. You can even do it in the like psychological realm, the societal realm. You know, this is like what you could look at it and be like, why do people, you know, why do people have nationalistic views? Why do people have like tribalistic views? You can look at that and go, evolutionarily, how does that make sense that that would be reproductively successful in the environment? Like how would that be increase the fitness of that individual in the environment? Like you can use this evolutionary biology lens and you can just go, okay, let's take a step back. Let's step away from this. Try to get rid of our emotional attachment to good, bad, whatever, and look at why would this develop in the environment? Like why would this trait, this attribute, this thought process, whatever it is. Why would this develop evolutionary? Like, why is this allowing these individuals reproductive success, right? Now, I'm going to make a false claim and you're going to see how it's very easy to be misled with this evolutionary biology, biological lens as well, right? So, Gary, the lymphatic system, yes? You're aware of it? Yes. And what, what does the lymphatic system do? It helps drain that helps with the drainage of waste products okay so waste products it also has some involvement in the immune system yes yes sir it also has some involvement in you know fat metabolism you know you eat some fat gets packaged chylomicrons then it goes into lymphatic system yes yes sir right so let's make a claim right so how does the lymphatic system drain do you know basically takes products from your from your blood flow and drains them or puts them into your blood excuse me and then puts them to the liver yeah but how how does how does it how does it flow that's the question right because your blood flow flows because you have a heart pumping it around so how does the lymphatic system pump through muscle contraction okay so through muscle contraction right now you could look at that and go 
okay, so evolutionarily it evolved to essentially pump by virtue of muscle contraction, right? It's also involved in, you know, this whole fat metabolism. Okay, okay, right? So one of the best ways to get this lymphatic system draining is walking. Okay, that makes sense. You know, you're doing a lot of contractions. You're also getting the, the impact of step to step to step to step. You know, it, it causes lymphatic drainage, right? That's why people get fat. They're not walking enough, right? That's it, Gary. I've solved it. If you just walked more, you're going to lose fat, right? So someone makes that claim, right? And they go, this is evolutionarily how this evolved. You know, lymphatic system. Oh, man, I've got it all figured out. Lymphatic system, fat metabolism, muscular contractions, walking. I've got it dialed in, right? And then they recommend it to someone. They're like, yeah, this is what you do. Walk. You're going to fucking shred the fat off, right? So someone increases their walking. Huh. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, they start losing fat. Right? You're like, oh, this guy, he's fucking figured it out. It's, it's the lymphatic system. It's fat metabolism. Walking. Walking is the fucking key, right? This person sees this. They're like, yes, we've stumbled across the absolute perfection. This, this is fat loss, right? And they're thinking, man, I figured this shit out. And how can I make some money on this, right? So they come up and they go, hmm. Right, so if it's contractions, it's that kind of rebounding, that step to step to step to step shit, you know, trampoline. I'm going to sell you a trampoline, right? Lots of contractions, lots of rebounding. Man, you are going to just shred fat, all because we're just getting this lymphatic system drained, right? That's a completely evolutionary biological lens approach to this. But Gary, can you see a flaw in that argument? I'm just laughing because I've actually seen that exact sequence of events play out. Like there are people that actually claim this. Like that literally say you should get up in the morning and like jump around so your lymphatic system gets is improving fat metabolism and you're gonna lose fat. But anyway, um, yeah, there might be some confounders there. All right, like maybe maybe if you walk more, maybe it's increasing your energy expenditure. Something something energy balance, fat loss. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, like realistically, that's probably it. The energy balance stuff, right? So you increase your activity by virtue of walking. Like yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't do anything for your lymphatic drainage. Like it definitely does, right? However, that's not affecting, that's not the thing that is affecting your your fat loss. The thing that's affecting your fat loss is the calorie expenditure you're now doing by virtue of walking, you know, or by virtue of buying this trampoline and doing a load of exercise on the trampoline, <laughs> you know? So Again, this, this evolutionary biology lens, you can look at things and you can come to our, an erroneous conclusion, right? And I'm going to give you another one, which is the only reason I'm going to give it to you is because it's actually something that will stick in your head a lot longer. And it also shows you that you can make a claim based on the evolutionary biology and then realize that evolutionary biology doesn't give a fuck what you think. And it's not directed. It's literally just... Uh, responding to environmental cues, right? So I don't know if you know much about how physiology or how the body develops embryologically, however you fucking say that word. Do you, Gary? No, bro, that's your field. <laughs> that's fair. That's actually not my field. But anyway, um, right, know. so we'll, 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 we'll come down to like your penis shape, right? And again, I'm just using this because it's actually, it's going to stick in your head. And uh, it, it's the worst example ever. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's disgusting, but it's what makes sense evolutionary. And I'm going to show you how this, this claim then can be used to make other claims 
that aren't actually true. Well, rather, they aren't the way things would play out, right? So the, the shape of your penis, right? The fact that it has like a, a head, like a, a mushroom tip, you know, some people call it, you know? The fact that it has that is so that it can scoop other semen out of the vaginal cavity, right? So if you have a female that you're having coitus with, you know, you're engaged in sexual intercourse with the shape of the penis. <laughs> the shape of the penis is designed so that it scoops any other semen in there out, right? Like that's literally why it has that kind of head to it. So it can scoop other semen out of the vaginal cavity, thus hopefully preventing pregnancy by virtue of some other male and hopefully increasing your reproductive success as the male that is having coitus. Um, you know, so that's why it's shaped. This is also why males, as soon as they ejaculate, they're like, oh, no, I have to stop, right? Because they also don't want to scoop their own semen out, right? Like that's, like you could, you can actually even test this because that is a feeling that you can actually get rid of. Like you, you can, you can override that evolutionary drive to not stop, right? Like you can actually override it using your brain. Uh, but could you tell me how, uh, just 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 for the listeners, could you uh, explain how, Betty? Uh, just wondering. Yeah, you just, you just <laughs> use your brain, Gary. I know it's hard for you. But anyway, um, like you can. That doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be enjoyable because that would be something that evolutionarily would have led to less, well, potentially less reproductive success. Therefore, your body, your, your physiology doesn't reward that, right? So it makes you want to stop, right? But you can keep going. Anyway, so you can use this information. That's that's how that that's how that evolutionarily, well, theoretically anyway, that's what they think. This is how this developed. You know, we develop a head because people that have like a head to their penis are better able to be reproductively successful because they're able to scoop semen out, therefore increasing their chances. So that's something a random mutation occurs, like a slight ridge maybe in the, the, the penis, and it, it leads to better reproductive success. Then all the children of that, that that reproductively successful male have a slightly bigger ridge, not all of them, but some of them do, and then those ones are more reproductively successful, and then you essentially get the, the current shape of the penis, right? So that's how that occurs. Now, you can use that information, right? Same way we just did with that lymphatic stuff. You can use that information and go, okay, so if this... If this is how humans evolved, that means that we should have a polyamorous society, right? That means that monogamy is not the default because humans clearly evolved with the idea, like they evolved with the idea that my penis is shaped so that it scoops semen of other males out, right? That means that there's other males having sex with that female. So clearly that means that we're designed to be a polyamorous society. You're meant to have multiple lovers. Would you agree, Gary? That's a That's a pretty pretty sensible conclusion would you would you agree you could come to that conclusion exactly right so you could use an evolutionary biological lens and go okay so that that's how that makes sense right that's this is why society is fucked up we're supposed to be polyamorous and it's only because of these damn i don't know put in x religious belief here that's that's the reason you know that's the reason we have a monogamous society and not a polyamorous society it's them damn x religion right? Or X beliefs, right? However, you have to then look at it, like, how would that environment dictate the response? Because that's, a polyamorous society is not the, the, the natural conclusion of that, right? Because if you think about it, if you have females that 
are, I don't know what the term would be, females that are having sex with loads of people, right? Lo- loads of males, right? So you're like, oh, it's a polyamorous society. The, the, what happens naturally, the natural conclusion from that is not that all the males go, oh yeah, this is great. Like this kid could be mine. It could not be mine. So I'm going to look after all of the kids equally. No, that's not what happens. What happens is one, maybe two dominant males get all the reproductive rights. They are, they essentially amass a haram of women, right? Because you think about it logically as a male, you're going to be like, well, I don't want to have to care for or look after other people's children so i'm i'm not going to let this polyamorous society go on and you're essentially going to get the biggest baddest motherfucker the strongest one and he's just going to kill all the other males (laughs) you know like that that's the way it goes down you know again like we said earlier on like maybe having a high iq wouldn't be great in that environment maybe having you know this freakish brutish strength and you're literally 20 30 50 kilos bigger than everyone else would be beneficial in that environment. Or maybe you're just a fucking psychopath that has no problem killing everyone else and then taking all the reproductive success. Again, this is why males have more variability in the attributes that they, they get. Because you know you wanna test out whatever is the most reproductively successful thing in that environment, that's what's gonna succeed. You know, So if you create a polyamorous society and you're like, oh, it's free love, hippie stuff, you know, that's, that that actually encourages dominant behaviors you know and this is why you see with like politics and stuff people always use like the kind of horseshoe theory where it's like oh you go so far left wing you essentially become right wing and if you go so far right wing you essentially become left wing like that's that's not necessarily what happens what happens is you know you create a society you tip the balance and then certain attributes are now more favorable in terms of taking control in that environment you know so you can use these evolutionary bio- biological lenses to look at things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that things play out the way you would naturally conclude, right? Same with the the lymphatic system thing. Like that's not necessarily like yes, you could make that evolutionarily bio- or evolutionary biological claim, but that's not necessarily the way things roll out or, or actually run out, right? So. Hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of, first of all, you can use an evolutionary biological lens to look at things. Everything should make sense evolutionarily, right? So if someone makes a claim and they're saying that, we'll, we'll get onto the exercises now in a second because that, that, that's where you see this. Like if someone makes a claim where you must squat, barbell back squat, you must barbell back squat or you can't build big legs. Like look at that claim through an evolutionary lens. Like barbells, Powerlifting, like people are like, oh, powerlifting is the way. Like powerlifting has literally been invented for 70 years. Like the first powerlifting competitions were in America in the 1950s or thereabouts, right? Before that, like all these power lifts were supplementary lifts. Like they're literally assistance exercises for Olympic lifting, you know? So people that make the argument and go, oh, well, you have to do this because look at the powerlifters. This is how humans should, whatever. Like look at that through an evolutionary lens. How can something that has been around for, we'll say, the the guts of 100 years, how could that be something that you must absolutely required to do, right? That doesn't make sense evolutionarily, right? So you can look at people making claims and you can look at that going, okay, let's look at this on the larger time course of human civilization. You can go back 
10,000 years, 20,000 years, you know, depending on what figures you look at in terms of humanity, like we'll look at like agriculture and stuff, we'll say 10 to 20,000 years, that's generally the figures that are given somewhere in that range, right? So people make the claims and you have to look at these things in terms of that evolutionary biological lens. And again, you can look at this, people do this with like the paleo diet and like there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with the paleo diet, but people make wrong assumptions about that. Like they're like, oh, well, humans have only been eating grains for the last 10,000 years. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. That's that's fair enough. But you have to remember that evolution doesn't just stop, right? So if you're not able to handle grains, the vast majority of people that weren't able to handle grains died out. So only the people that survived are the people that are able to handle grains. So of any person in any time period, this time period if you live in an agrarian society or a society that has been an agrarian society for the last 10,000 years, you are the most adapted person to eating grains, right? Now, yes, that does mean that there is still some variability and you might find that you have some sort of non-gluten sensitivity, you know, or some sort of cross-reactivity, you know, that's fine. But that does not necessarily mean that all humans shouldn't eat grains, you know, like that doesn't make sense evolutionarily especially when you consider that humans were still eating grains before they were actually like growing grains you know like if you come to a field and you notice that oh there's these grains out here that we can eat are you just going to say like oh no sorry i don't eat those things uh i'm a hunter gatherer i'm not going to gather these things like that's just that's just stupid like of course if there's viable food there and you're like i can eat this you're going to eat it you know like it's like coming to an apple tree and just going like Nah, I'm good. No apples. When you're hungry, you're starving. Of course, you're going to fucking eat the apples, you know? And some, some guy in your tribe is like, no, don't eat those. There's there's cyanide in them or something, you know? <laughs> you're like, okay, well, this, this, is just, this is just silly, right? So you can look at things like in that evolutionary biological lens and go, okay, this is obviously stupid. This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Another one, again, with that paleo diet, people go against the paleo diet and go, oh, well, you look at like hunter-gatherer men or men and women, people and the average life expectancy was like 25, you know? We were like, obviously I don't want to eat like them. But that's again, a complete falsification of the actual data. Yes, the 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 average lifespan was 25, 30, but that's because we had so much deaths in birth, you know? The babies died, the mother died. And once you got rid of those, like we had the exact same average life expectancy up until we started getting control of deaths due to birth, you know, on kind of the, the turn of the, the century, the industrial revolution, that kind of time, like we still only had that same life expectancy, you know? So if you got rid of like the people in the hunter gatherer society, if you looked at them there, people still live to like 80, 90, a hundred years old in those societies, you know, it's just because the, the average is brought hugely down because you were getting like something like four to six out of every 10 were dying in childbirth. You know, so that's going to drop your numbers significantly, you know. So, again, you have to look at things in this bigger picture evolutionary evolutionary scale. It is something that's quite hard to do when you don't have a huge scientific basis to go on, right? But it does give you a way to evaluate claims, right? Very straightforward. Again, like we use that exercise one with the squats. If someone makes a claim and they say, this is the only way you're to do this, or you must squat to be human. Like if you can't squat, you're you're not human, right? That's, that's fair. Like humans should be able to squat, right? That's fine. 
that does not mean that humans should be able to squat with a barbell on their back, right? You know? So you have to look at this, like, how does this evolve evolutionarily? So, Gary, do you see any of these kind of claims made in the the exercise world, the training world? And do you see any of these kind of claims made with regard to this is how you should do exercises because of X, Y, and Z muscles? Because a lot of times people forget that there is still variability in terms of your actual insertions, muscle, muscle length, that, that kind of stuff. Like there's people with like completely missing muscles, people with like extra ribs, people with extra organs, people with all that kind of, again, like just a huge amount of variability. So how are you seeing this kind of evolutionary argument or rather this evolutionary lens play out in terms of the claims people make with regard to exercise and with regard to how muscles function? Yeah. So I suppose like this, this evolution discussion definitely does come into like your basic anatomy and mechanics of how the body works like even if you look at things like the palmaris longus muscle in the forearm like that's a muscle that is declining as we get older or as we move on um as humans because we don't really climb anymore we don't really you know we're not climbing on trees and stuff so <laughs> we don't really need that muscle quite as much um so you you, you see those changes um over time and but 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 one of the one of the, the other things that you could that you could say when you're kind of thinking of like this idea of the intelligent designer so to speak when you're thinking of evolution like <laughs> if you're if you're looking at like let's say the where your muscles attach you're like uh, uh you'd be like oh why why did why didn't the designer or evolution lead us to get to this point where our muscles actually attach further away from our joints like why didn't that happen this doesn't make any sense and uh, this is stupid design but if because essentially if you were to take your bicep and attach it halfway down your forearm instead of at the very top of your forearm you would be far stronger because you have a huge internal moment arm but that then compromises the velocity at which you can at which you can contract that and also the amount of energy you have to you have to use when you do that so the reason i bring that up is because like the, the thing I'd like you to take away from this podcast, I think anyway, is is not to go away and try to think of an evolutionary argument for, for everything, but to be skeptical, skeptical about the claims that you hear, especially when they are related to these evolutionary claims, because I often find that it's people who are trying to fool people with simple explanations that give you these ex- evolutionary explanations. You know, they'll say that, oh, you know, evolutionarily, we're supposed to sleep in two different phases of four hours, and that's why you shouldn't sleep all in one go. And, you know, you hear lots of things like that, or, or even, you know, you humans evolved, you know, at, at the beginning, we were, you know, climbing on trees, doing lots of hanging, this sorts of stuff. So if you don't do that anymore, that's not human. And it's like, all right, this is where it becomes problematic from my perspective. And you see a lot of that in the, the dietary discussions as well, um, where, like, people say that, because we did something in the past, you need to do it now, and that's just that just doesn't. Yeah, like you, like you should be you you should be fat adapted. You yeah. should. There was periods of time when humans humans were, were in ketogenic diet phase. There's periods of times where humans were fasting, and because this is a, a a natural thing in our evolutionary past, it means that we should definitely practice these things now. You know that that is the argument you see, especially with regard to nutrition. People will say like oh, we did X, Y, and Z thing in the past, so we should do X, Y, and Z thing now. Forgetting the fact that these these things were attributes that 
mutated into the environment. So someone is better able, like, for example, people always talk about ketogenic diets and they always go, they use the, the Inuit to, you know, propagate that belief, right? They're like, oh, well, the Inuit basically eat blubber and meat. Like they literally just club a seal, kill a seal, and they survive on that seal for fucking months. You know, like they literally just eat fat. Like they're they're one of the the only, well, one of the very few surviving peoples that are very what would be called ketogenic in their their approach however like the inuit or the eskimos i'm not sure what the the correct term is and um, but the inuit people have mutations that mean that they don't get like ketoacidosis they don't get like fully into that ketogenic state that you're you as an individual say you're european or of african descent you're not getting into or you're getting into this deep ketotic state they just don't get into it because everyone who didn't have the mutation for that environment, like didn't have the mutation that prevented them from getting ketoacidosis, died. So the environment dictated that this adaptation was beneficial. But if you didn't have that adaptation, you died, you know? So you can't make this generalized argument across all humans. Like, yes, we are pretty much identical to a large extent, but we're also very different in terms of the adaptations, especially if it's something like, enzymatic that occurs which is a lot of nutrition if, if it's something like that like there's there's a lot of variability in terms of how you respond but anyway go on gary um but yeah those those inuit boys or eskimos or whatever they've got that cpt1 deficiency i think it is but along with that they've also got very high rates of cardiovascular disease so i'm like what argument are you actually trying to make here you know if, if you are someone that makes those arguments so it's not it's not like they're getting away like scot-free you know um but yeah like that that's why i see the biggest the biggest um room for error here is is using like evolutionary arguments like falsely and, and just always looking back and seeing what we did in the past and saying okay we need to to do that now and like i think you can do that to a certain degree like you can say that um, oh, you know, humans, humans were always very active. So be active. I'm like, all right, you know, I can get down with that. Um, and that are that humans, you know, had, we've had like diverse diets. We weren't just eating one specific food or whatever. I'm like, all right, we can kind of get down with that as well. And it's like, there's, there's certain things, but if you're making like the case for like radical claims based on evolution, it's like, that's where it becomes problematic. And I think that also leads to like science denial or the denial of progress in some cases as well, because like, for example, like f the use of like food preservatives or different ingredients in foods or food colorings or whatever, you know, you, you'll have people saying that, um, oh, you know, that's not natural. Um, we didn't evolve eating those types of foods, so we shouldn't eat them now. Um, and I think you have to be careful when trying to justify something that we are or aren't doing now based on the past, unless you have like very good reason for doing so. Yeah. And this is something you see a lot of people do, like they'll make evolutionary arguments for their, x y and z calls but then refuse to follow the evolutionary arguments for other things for example like and th this is pretty fucking grim when you think about it but like rape is an evolutionary successful strategy right because and this is why rape is still around so if you are an individual and you rape another individual like that is the the easiest way to spread your seed essentially without having to take any of the reproductive cost like you don't have to engage in you know helping raise that child feed that child etc whatever the fuck right so really fucking grim really fucking sick but you can see why evolutionary that would evolve 
right? And people will make all these evolutionary arguments saying like, oh, society was this way, or we should do things this way. But then they just refuse to look at the, the, the evolutionary things that also occurred at that time. Like you can't just pick and choose what you want. Like I was saying earlier on with that, like polyamorous society things, like just because an evolutionary argument supports your case for X, Y, and Z, whatever claim it is, like you have to also realize that every single way you, you know, make society work or make nutrition work or make exercise work or whatever, it all comes at a cost, you know, and there's certain things that get rewarded and certain things that get brought down, you know, and this is, again, you see this as well in like, uh, they, 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 again, really fucking grim, but you see women are more likely to get like Stockholm syndrome, right? As in they identify with their, their captures. Like, so if, if a woman gets captured, you know, kidnapped or whatever, they're more likely to identify with their, their capture. Like they're, they're more likely to, if the police or whatever saves them, they're kind of like, oh, well, he wasn't that bad of a person. He treated me okay. Like, and they'll kind of justify it. And, you know, there's a lot of psychological research into why this is. But if, again, if you look at it through an evolutionary lens of like, why would this develop? Like you have to look at like how humans developed. Like you might have two tribes, two warring tribes and all the men in one tribe go over to this other village and just slaughter all the men. And they essentially just capture all the women and they just divvy them out, you know? So if you are a female that is very strong-willed, strong-minded, or whatever whatever terminology you want to use, and you're just completely against, you know, like that kind of Stockholm syndrome thing, like you would just be killed. Like if, if, if there was a, a female in that village that was taken over that was essentially stopping everyone from, from uh, rebelling, or rather it was encouraging everyone to rebel, they would just kill that person and just keep all the ones that are more... I suppose the ones that are more likely to encounter Stockholm syndrome. So again, you can see why these things develop still fucking grim. And it's re- again, it's one of those things that it's like, man, like I, I think about this all the time. Like I'm like, I don't actually know how society is the way society is because like, this is not our default. This whole like uh, lawful ordered society is not the default. Like the default is fucking chaos. So like, I'm always like, whenever I read any of this stuff, like any of these, this evolution stuff or any of the stuff that, you know, how human societies were organized and how human societies went about their business in the past. I'm always like, what the fuck? Like, how did we, like, how was I born into such a prosperous time? Like, you could have been born a hundred years ago and you would have been completely, like in a completely different environment, you know? And that's fucking mad when you really kind of think about it, that we live in such a prosperous time and again like i realized that a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now is stuff that is like triggering it's the only word that you can kind of use stuff that is very almost controversial it's very hard to fully get your head around and again like this is how these discussions can be very easily co-opted to put forth an argument for certain things that aren't correct or don't have a place in modern society you know like you see this all the time with that iq one like people use that iq distribution to make anti-feminist remarks anti-racial remarks anti-whatever fucking remarks and it's like this this is not what the data shows this is not what the data 
is showing, or this is not how you interpret that data, but you can see how these ideas become very cancerous, I suppose is the right word, in terms of they can be co-opted for nefarious claims. And again, like this is this is a societal thing. This is a, a political thing, but it's also stuff that you see in the, the health and fitness realm. You know, people will make these evolutionary claims and they'll say X, Y, and Z thing occurred in the past. X, Y, and Z thing were evolved to have. And this is what we should do. And that's not necessarily the right interpretation. That's not necessarily the the fully comprehensive interpretation. Yeah. So I think like the take on point there is like whether you're trying to be a sexist pig, a white supremacist, or a health and fitness elite, don't be this sort of person that's just leveraging these loose arguments for your own sake. Because like as you can see, like it becomes very dark because like you're talking about in things as 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 volatile as rape, like you don't want to be utilizing those arguments um, for your advantage by any means. Um, And you could see how people could do that. Um, But on a much softer note, whether it's the ketogenic diet or the vegan diet, um, you also have to think about it um, there. So, so yeah, I'm glad our listenership isn't uh, big enough for someone to run away saying, Paddy Farrell says that rape is advantageous. This this is the thing. This is why it encourages or rather not that encourages yeah. it, it it stifles conversation because these these things these, these arguments are very absolutely very easily co-opted for nefarious means you know and again that stifles conversation but like i fully believe in freedom of speech and if if you can't discuss things even if they are disgusting um if you can't discuss things they they can be co-opted just as easily. You know, if people don't understand the actual information or people don't have a good grasp of the information, then you can see how they would be easily led astray, you know? And again, this is this is something that when you kind of stifle that freedom of speech, it just pushes things into the darkness and in the darkness, they can fester and grow, you know? So like, if you bring them out to the fore, if you bring them out to an open discussion, like you can see at least people then can look at your beliefs, look at your ideologies and look at what you're promoting and have a a conversation around that, about the faults, about the pros, about the cons, about whatever around those ideologies or those thoughts, you know? And again, like obviously we're we're getting into some fucking political whatever debate here, but bringing it back to this whole health and fitness stuff this is why you see people making these evolutionary claims and what they'll generally do is make this evolutionary claim or make a claim that has no evolutionary backing and they won't fully elucidate their claim. They'll make vague claims, right? So they'll use again like that, like, oh, humans were evolved to squat and that's where they'll leave it. Like they won't say that humans were evolved to squat like their body weight, like this, you just no no weight. They won't, they won't say that. They'd be like, oh no, humans were evolved to squat. And then they'll use stuff like uh, a child, like a baby squatting, you know? And they'll, they'll have this picture of a, a baby squatting and being like, oh, they see humans, they, they, they were born to squat and you just lost it over time because of sitting, because of the modern world, because of X, Y, and Z, you know? And that's, that's not correct, is it Gary? No, it's absolutely not. And like that, that's one of the things that fucking bugs me more than anything, because like 
especially when people leverage the evolution thing because i'm like all right if you're going to talk about evolution like you're talking about how things change through environments in the past etc but you also have to get sort of like like what is the modern environment like what are you trying to adapt to you know and telling people that they need to do some like fancy like sort of roll and get their hip and all this into specific positions because humans were designed to move in dynamic ways like i'm all for that in terms of like yeah fucking move it's fantastic but like telling giving people arbitrary standards of what they need to do because of something we used to do in the past like it just makes no sense because it's like all right uh, most people like are around the place working in offices <laughs> they'll be lucky if they get their hip past 90 degrees of flexion um like why are you telling them they need to achieve this like t- to meet the standards of a human in the past or to live their life that they want to live at the moment so like clearly we're not saying that like exercise is something that you don't need to do in the modern environment but rather that you shouldn't use it as a justification for specific things like saying that humans evolved to squat like that's fine like that 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 is that is true in a sense and i think being able to squat is probably a good thing you know for sure but telling people that they need to do that like that to me is just unhelpful because from my perspective exercise is something we should be trying to make accessible to as many people as possible and to be honest like if you're talking to your your mother who's 60 years old she doesn't exercise and the only way you can get her to exercise is to do some leg extensions i'm like fuck me man that is fantastic because that still helps you get better at squatting get better at getting out of a chair get better at getting out of the toilet and then yes there's research for that like it's not it's not not functional um and like like that's the way you have to look at things like you have to look at it and say all right the evolutionary arguments are there what is the modern environment how does that compare to the past environment and now what do we know about human health and what we need to do to be healthy etc because again this goes back to one of the discussions we had in the podcast about the foot you know we often project our values as trainers onto other people and you know it's fine for you as a kind of a hippie trainer to be like um oh you know everyone needs to be able to splay their toes lift each toe individually do all these specific foot exercises and i'm like yeah that's cool like absolutely and i think that's bonus but trying to project that value onto someone who just wants to feel a little bit better in their day-to-day life. Yeah, like I always think so have these things as well. Like, I always just think of my dad, like he literally has had a hip replacement, knee replacement, like saying like, oh, you need to squat. Like that's just that, like, or like you need to squat ass to grass. I'm like, this is just not helpful in his case. Now, again, like that's a specific case in terms of injury, previous injury, etc. like a car crash, pretty fucking trauma, whatever. But saying it's like everyone has to do this is just is ignorant you know and again you have to take into account that there is a lot of anatomical variation in how people are made up you know and and you may have certain anatomical variations that make it very easy for you to do a certain i don't know exercise or a certain i don't know exercise modality for example like like i have vikings disease Right. What's the technical name for it, Gary? Uh, Depoitrin's contractures. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have that. Like I have that. You know. And gripping things for me, like I also have fucking huge hands. And um, gripping things for me, never an issue. Like I will never fail a lift because of my grip. You know. Like there's no chance. Like uh, like I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and stuff, and like I could literally have two fingers in a grip on the gi, and I will not lose that grip. 
like because my hand wants to be in a contracted position like my hand wants to be almost in a fist like that's just what my hand wants to be in you know and that's that is one of those things again like when you look at things through an evolutionary argument or through an evolutionary lens you can see why that would be beneficial in terms of if you have a society that is based around rowing boats and going to war with like uh, an axe or a sword in hand like having a hand that wants to stay gripped is going to be pretty fucking beneficial right would you agree gary sounds good to me yeah like that sounds pretty good but again it becomes these trade-offs this is what i'm saying about the whole adaptations are just basically trying out the environment seeing what works and you know this could be bad long term but it could be good short term so we're going to keep going with it you know so for example again like that 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 vikings disease like i i obviously have that great for gripping things great for holding things but like everyone on my dad's side of the family ends up with like their their baby finger and their ring finger like pretty much closed in on their hand like they have they 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 if they were to shake your hand like you'd be putting your hand around two of their fingers to shake their hand right and they obviously have to get surgery on the little nodules and stuff and get them cut and stuff and i can just see that in my future right so it is one of those things where it's like yes this clearly has an advantage for what i am engaging in you know lifting weights brazilian jiu jitsu anything that requires gripping clearly a huge advantage obviously a huge disadvantage as well down the road if i literally can't even shake someone's hand like i can't extend all my fingers two of them are just contracted in against the palm of my hand you know so again this is this is why this whole evolutionary lens or this is why evolution is such a an easily co-opted thing an easily misunderstood thing an easily yeah misunderstood thing because it's not always immediately obvious how these things play out you know like again you can make these evolutionary arguments for x y and z claim you can also say okay i'm going to look at something and try to understand how that would have evolved over time but just because you think you understand something doesn't mean that you do actually understand it or things play out the way you think they're going to play out you know and again this is why you can make all of these rather grim i don't know arguments i suppose you call them discussions around certain things like why they developed you know and you can make you can you can understand them and use them to further your aims your objectives whatever but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is something that we want to actually put forward in the environment you know like i could easily say everyone should have vikings disease it's fucking great you know like because it is great it's fucking great like i literally can grip things like nobody's business but that's that's not how it plays out long term in the environment you know so whenever you look at any of these evolutionary claims you have to look at both the 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 short term and the long term like how this actually fully plays out and whether yes you can you can understand something like why it occurred evolutionary like we were saying with the stockholm syndrome and stuff but you have to then also go okay so i understand why that is something that is present in the environment or why that is an adaptation that has been selected for previously in the environment that doesn't mean that that is something that you want to propagate in the environment you know same with again with the the 
the ability to have like metabolic flexibility. You know, like you see a lot of people arguing for that in terms of you have to do some fasting, you have to do periods of like ketogenic or fat adapted dieting, you have to do periods of like carb adapted dieting. And it's like, yes, like humans are able to do all these things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are things that you should be propagating further in the environment. You know, like that doesn't mean that that is something that you need to keep going with that. Like, that's not what that means. It just means that in our evolutionary past, these are things that have conferred a survival benefit. That does not mean, again, this is why you have to take that step back and like very hard to do. You have to take that step back and like remove your emotional feelings towards a topic. You have to get rid of that good versus bad adaptations. You know, like everything is an adaptation. It is either beneficial or not beneficial in that environment. But that does not mean that it's not beneficial or it isn't beneficial in another environment or at another period of time, you know? So again, it even changes through your lifetime overall. You know, as we said earlier on with this, the sleep stuff, like it, it is one of those things that all of these arguments are very hard to fully decipher unless you have a lot of scientific literacy. But I, I want people to kind of come away from this with the, the thought process that if you see a claim or if you hear a claim or whatever, just take a step back and think, why would something like this develop in evolution? Like, why would, I don't know, X supplement give you an, a, a performance advantage or a fat loss advantage or whatever? Like, how is this interacting with your overall physiology, you know? And then look at that in terms of like, how, how much of a magnitude is this actually impacting what I want to achieve, you know? Because you can make a lot of arguments, evolutionarily stable arguments for certain things, and they make sense. However, people just fail to give you the magnitude of effect. What I mean by that is, you know, you might say that, I don't know, taking carnitine, is beneficial for fatty acid oxidation, the utilization of uh, for fat as fuel. And that's that's an evolutionary stable argument, right? So you could say that that is a, a, a lipolytic, you know, it's something that is encouraging fat loss. But that's, that's only secondary or secondary to a calorie deficit, you know? Like if you take a fat burner, it's useless outside of a calorie deficit, you know, if you take a fat burner and you're eating more than you expend, you're not going to lose fat. You know, it might bump up your metabolism a few percentage, but if you're eating a higher percentage through calories, like your true food, like it's it's irrelevant, you know? So again, like you have to look at these things and go, okay, so this, this doesn't make sense evolutionarily. Like why would we develop this, right? Or this makes sense evolutionarily. Like there's, you're, you're giving me the science here. It makes sense. It makes sense in terms of our evolution, why we should eat more fiber, for example, but then you have to go, why would this, or what effect is this actually having on me and my goals, right? Because your goals are, are not probably anyway, are not purely just survivability in the environment, you know, like that's, that's not your goal. Like, yes, that is probably one of your goals, right? You want to, to survive, you know, you probably want to have kids, but maybe you don't, you know, like people kind of forget that, like everyone's goals aren't everyone's goals, you know? So there's no one goal for everyone. 
You know, most people do want to survive in the environment, but some people don't. You know, this is why we still have like stuff like suicide and, you know, people killing themselves or whatever, you know. So like some people don't want to survive in the environment, you know. So you can't make this blanket statement and say everyone should do X, Y and Z because everyone has different goals. And while, yes, your nutritional argument for X, Y and Z supplement or whatever is evolutionarily sound, it makes sense. That doesn't mean that it's going to be the magnitude of difference for this person. Like again, like using that carnitine one, like that's that's not going to get you down from 30% body fat down to 8% body fat, you know? But maybe your goal isn't to do that and all you want is to get down to like 20% body fat. That carnitine supplement is still not going to do much, if anything at all, you know? So yes, it does make sense why taking carnitine could potentially help with fat loss that's that's literally we're talking about the 0.00001 percent improvement that you're only going to be noticeable when you're already at a very very low body fat uh, point you know anyway guy we've been kind of rambling and we've probably triggered well i've probably triggered loads of people <laughs> uh in in this episode i'll probably put in a trigger warning record one afterwards uh to book before this and um, but is there anything else you want to add to that that whole argument or discussion even um no like i think you you, you touched on an important point that probably is it's it's related to health and fitness but not totally um kind of about like the importance of actually having conversations about these things because obviously like like you're saying you know some of these things might trigger some people but like even regardless of of how right or wrong they are like you should still be able to discuss pretty much anything because that is how these ideas come to the forefront of public discussion and then you could decide what's right or wrong because like you said some of these things some ideas that that are, are immediately shunned and, and hidden away and they end up then on like 4chan forums and different places on the internet where you know they're never brought brought to public discussion and that's obviously very problematic so you know have conversations have difficult conversations like i think that's that's generally a good thing and probably something I initially learned from you, Patrick. Yeah, I'm, but I'm fairly triggering. But anyway, um, <laughs> yes, I don't think I have anything else to add except, again, like you come away from this whole discussion, this whole conversation, understanding that, yes, evolution, evolution is a thing. It's intuitive, but it's also very non-intuitive in terms of the, the outcomes you would predict from certain claims or certain evolutionarily sound claims aren't necessarily how things would pan out in an environment you know so again what you need to take away from this is whenever someone makes a claim look at that and go mm, how would that evolve in the environment like how would that become a thing you know looking at evolution occurring over these small adaptations occurring over time like how, how would that occur and then also looking at it in terms of are these claims that are clearly evolutionarily sound, are they being co-opted for something that isn't necessarily correct? I'm going to say correct in terms of the, the larger body of research. You know, like I said earlier on with that uh, lymphatic system stuff, like you could easily make that argument. Again, very evolutionarily sound in terms of the interpretations but the conclusion is incorrect in terms of the bigger understanding of the the overall picture you know like again like the, that, the lymphatic system one it's like obviously this is secondary the secondary to 
the the calorie deficit that you've now incurred you know same with the ones that were making those slightly more grim ones it's like yeah okay cool we can understand why these things occurred in the past why these things are survivable in the environment but in the context of the larger scale society and the larger scale setup of humanity we can also understand why these things are not conducive to a well-organized lawful society (laughs) yeah not good So you can see that like, not all evolu- evolutionary adaptations are good. Yeah, or and also they're, they're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> again, to even like it's really hard to discuss without using good, bad, beneficial, non-beneficial. Like they're just adaptations. They're literally just testing out the waters. Yeah. Like they're literally <laughs> just going. I'm going to mutate this. Like, and it's not even a directed mutation. Like some god or whatever. Maybe it is. Like, I don't fucking know. But it doesn't. It doesn't look to be that way. You know. Um, it's just a random mutation and go, okay, cool. That actually gave us some sort of survivability in the environment. Let's keep evolving that way, you know? But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is a inherently good thing, you know? Like it's just beneficial in that environment. If the environment was set up some different way, this thing would not be beneficial. You know, this thing would not have survivability or fitness, uh, uh, like evolutionary fitness. So again, you have to look at this in terms of, the environment this is why at the very start of it if you remember i said i was like this this stuff is really hard to fully parse out because it is clearly genetic stuff that's occurring which you would think isn't passed on to the next generation but it is the epigenetic stuff that is occurring like the genetic response to the environment and how that then plays out in terms of the the survivability or the fitness of the individual you know like again like if you have an individual that has a slightly better adaptation to drinking milk like they have a lactase persistence you know that's that's great if you have an environment that is based around you know cattle herding or something you know you're able to be to eat lactose but you can also see how if this is something that you don't do like you don't drink milk in the again like this is the evolutionary argument you see in nutrition people are like oh humans didn't evolve to drink milk you know it's like well that's just a completely false statement because we have lactase persistence at least if you're of sort of indo-european descent like obviously the further east you go there's less persistence of that Um, and then obviously in africa there's even less persistence but again people in africa still have lactase persistence but the vast majority of africans are lactose intolerant because they didn't have that kind of uh cattle focused agrarian society like their 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 agrarian focus was in in other places um <clears throat> so you can see how these arguments can be put forth but they don't really stand up under deeper scrutiny it's like yeah okay you're you're basically saying we didn't evolve to do this but like you can literally see how we did evolve to do this like we have lactase persistence like the humans are able to drink milk you know and again it's like this argument is about people are like oh uh other animals don't drink the milk of other animals. And it's like, this is just completely false. Do you think like a lion kills, I don't know, a buffalo and goes, oh shit, no, don't forget about those mammary glands. Don't eat those mammary glands. Yeah. Like, no, it eats fucking everything. Those mammary glands contain milk. It eats the fucking milk, <laughs> you know? So it, this 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 whole argument is just, it, it it's built on misinformation. And again, this is this is what we want to do with these discussions. Uh, although sometimes, yes, they do get into realms that are somewhat esoteric in some places, but also some in some places they are, again, what's tr- 
commonly called triggering, uh, you, you can get into these arguments. And what we're trying to do with all this is give you a somewhat balanced viewpoint. Like I'm sure we do have inherent biases, but what we're trying to do is give you uh, a thought process, a way to think about things and a way to analyze claims that you come up against and then make correct conclusions or rather push you towards making better conclusions with that data. Yes, sir. I think there's some good take on points. Um, anything else? I have nothing else to add. Sweet. All right. Well, as we always say, it is literally too easy. Is it? Too easy. Too easy.